This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call Highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time in educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Mark Davenport. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Thank you for having me. Mark and his partner, Phoebe, sold their single-family house five years ago and have been on a real estate investment journey since, moving from duplexes and 60 units to most recently a 12-story tower block. It's been a fascinating journey so far, he says. So, Mark, thank you for being on the show. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your journey and you know some things we were talking about before the show and just like how you've been aggressive to scale and being willing to take risk and you know being willingness to take that next step. I think it's just so crucial that we hear those things when we're getting started in this business and we understand we can't do it. It's difficult. It is not easy to be willing to take the risk and to take the next step. I'm looking forward to hearing how you have done that. But give us a little more about who you are, uh, you know, what you're doing in real estate. And then, you know, I want you to help us and the listener to be, you know, willing to take that next step as well. If you're never willing to take the next step, even though you don't have this amazing plan in place, like you're, you're never going to get there. Uh, you know, you're never going to get to that point where it's like, okay, like you said, I mean, you know, we, oh, here's the amazing plan. Let's get started. Well, no, you know, you do have to have some faith in yourself and just your ability to keep pushing forward. You do have to have a plan of some kind, but it's never going to be this amazing thing that you're probably dreaming of in your head, you know. Mark, can you speak to just like aggressively scaling, you know, and being willing to take risk and what that looked like for you? Yeah. So we were living in Brooklyn, New York at the time, and we had developed a duplex and a fourplex in New Hampshire. And then we relocated to Brooklyn, New York, and the properties were cash flowing. We'd renovated them pretty much top to bottom. Tenants were great. It was a really good, in many ways, a really great situation. And then I read a book about Elon Musk, and I had this epiphany, and I was so impressed with just one part of him. There's probably a lot to be said about many parts of him, but I was impressed with one part of it, which was like, he wasn't nostalgic about the companies he'd started. He was always looking for the next thing and happy to surrender his kind of current position or his current company back in the early days in order to get something new. And I was just like, oh man, these properties we have, they're doing so well, but you know what? They're now worth so much more than what we purchased them for. And all that equity is sitting in the house doing something because the property's cash flowing. But man, if we could reinvest that equity and have the same success that we had with those initial properties at the next level, man, we'd be scaling. So we just decided, ah, we'll put one of them on the market. We have nothing to lose. It's already cash flowing. We'll see if we can get out what we want. And then, of course, it's sold. Then the other one sold as well. And then we you know, bought two six units and a three unit. So we went from six to... I don't know, what is that, 15? And in the course of like six months, eight months. So the key for being aggressive for me was, you know, appreciating the past, enjoying it, seeing it for a good, you know, if you've developed a situation, you are now in a better situation, but then also seeing, well, if I cash this in, I can make plays from here on out and I can kind of go to the next level. So that's kind of what we did that with that particular thing. Then we did it again with those 15 units in New Hampshire. We did another property in the process. But anyway, we had this portfolio in New Hampshire. And when we moved to Kansas City, which is where we are now, it was like, well, we have this New Hampshire portfolio and it's doing great again because it's all cash flowing, no problem. But again, like if you take the equity that's in it and sell it and you're able to realize that and get that money out, and then reinvest at the same level as you did before, and then you jump. And so we did it. We bought a 12-story tower block and just acquired a, another six-story one. So it's now 109 units. But really, it's just 
the idea of, oh, you know, you do one thing, you do what you have on your heart to do, I guess, or whatever. And then once you've done that, it's like, cool, that was great. All right, what's next? Nice. Now you're at 109 units. Is that what you said? Yeah, congratulations. Just being willing to take that step. Most people aren't, or they just never will take that step. And I would just encourage the listener right now just to listen to Mark's story, you know, and just realizing, wait a minute, you know, there's a big opportunity here. And man, you took that step. What about just getting your wife or Phoebe on board as well? Or was she just gung-ho about this decision and moving into real estate and taking these risks as well? I don't get how on board with anything. I mean, that's just not the <laughs> that's just not the dynamic of our relationship at all. In fact, I think probably it'd be better for her to be interviewed and then be asked, "How did you get Mark on board?" That's that's probably like the better way for that to go. But I mean, from day one, it was like a joint thing. You know, we make decisions together. She shapes me. I shape her. Initially, it was more kind of me, like because there was so much renovation initially with the duplex and the fourplex and even the six, it was more kind of me hands-on doing that. So much of our growth was tied to the physical improvement of the property and how we decided to do that was leverage my time to do it. But now that things have grown, she does so many different things. Like she's, so no, I didn't, I didn't get her on board, fella. It wasn't, (laughs) didn't go down that way. (laughs) Well, tell me about the purchasing of this 12-story, you know, block. You know, tell me a little about that deal and how you moved in. I mean, how do you purchase that, you know, coming from smaller properties, you know, to getting into that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a whole story there. I mean, it was February this year, (laughs) February this year, you know, we'd sold our New Hampshire stuff and we used a 1031 exchange to do that to defer the capital gains. So the resources are there and we're like, ah, okay, what can we do? And saw this building on the MLS on realtor.com and I was like, wow, how is it even possible that you can kind of get a project like this? And so we just, it's in a town a couple of hours away from where we are. So we drove in, saw the property. We're like, this is exactly what we want. This exactly represents scale, opportunity to renovate, to improve management. It's in a kind of a, not a small town, but, you know, a town with a population of about 40,000. So we're very familiar with working in those types of towns. That's where we worked in New Hampshire. And it was just a wild ride. It continues to be a wild ride, really, because I reached out to all the banks in the area to see if they'll, you know, finance the deal. Of course, COVID is kicking off at this point also. A couple of the banks were up for it, and one bank in particular was really keen. So we ended up working with them to underwrite it. The seller was an interesting character. You know, there's lots of stories in like the property as to why it's in this position. And uh, yeah, we closed the deal. We got it done. And it was a wild ride, though. It was. It really was a crazy journey. What were a couple of things that you learned through that process? I mean, whether it was you know, working with the bank or working with the seller or just closing a project of that size. Yeah. So. For me, most of the stuff I learned, most of the significant things, they're all internal things. It's all me learning to not let my fear motivate my actions or learning not to be anxious about a situation. So the biggest thing for me was like walking into a bank or talking with a commercial lender and just being confident and allowing and presenting myself to them and seeing that as a legitimate thing because it's all internal for me. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I love to scale is because I'm also improving myself because I'm kind of afraid now of a 200 unit building, or maybe I'm not, but that's only because I've done so many of them that I've learned to handle my fears in terms of properties, but it's all internal. It's the anxiety. It's like, Oh, what if this happens? You know, what if all the tenants leave? What if I can't underwrite it? What if, you know, 
there's just so many, you know, the mind can be like this fear factory. And it's like, how do you get a grip on that and, you know, choose to live a different way? So for me, it's all self-management. I guess there's probably some other things as well, but like the bigger things are all internal. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that. Like the bigger things are internal. And I've said this numerous times on the show that, you know, people think that I or our team have some big like magical gift or extreme knowledge from the beginning about whatever, you know, about commercial real estate or multifamily. And I just think more than anything, it's just the willingness to keep going, keep learning, you know, keep pushing forward. You know, I think anyone listening can do what we've done, what you've done. But the hardest part is that mental part, like you're talking about from the very beginning and learning. I, I love how you said you learned how not to let your fear motivate your actions. So important, so important that you can learn to think clearly in a time where most people are fearful. You know, it's such a good skill. So how did you finance that? And why was that lender so interested in this project? So it, I had the idea that we would approach local lenders because it's a local situation. You know, there are obviously banks that are much bigger, have a, even a footprint across the whole US. But we were like, this is a property that is managed, has been managed a certain way. It needs optimization. It needs renovation. It needs lots of the vacancies filled. Like the local banks have a stake in this. Like surely there are some local banks who have a vision to see this building and the downtown actually, because this is the biggest building in the city like thrive again. And so that was kind of what it was. It was a bank that the lady who I um, I met with that we still work with because they're financing other projects we have. I think she got, there was a meeting of vision, I guess. And like the numbers worked, like we came in with our down payment and everything, like all that stuff is still, you have to kind of tick your boxes. But at the end of the day, I think they were willing to go with us because of the vision. And they understand, and I'm, that to me is incredibly profound because I'm just driving, we're just driving into the city. We don't know anyone. Never been there before, but we have a history of developing some real estate. Yes, smaller projects, and they've taken a risk with us by doing that. But I, my guess is, I mean, you'd have to talk to her, but my guess is that they saw the vision and wanted that for their town. Nice. I just think it's incredible. You know, just talking about you painted it. You ultimately you painted a vision for them, and they could see that vision, wanted it for their town. I think it's incredible. Mark, what's been the hardest part of this journey to you know commercial real estate, you know, and purchasing something like this? You know, whether it was something in the beginning or something in that deal specifically, what's been the hardest part for you and Phoebe? So that particular deal was super. We didn't contract, and we until we'd done all of our due diligence, we'd inspected the building. We'd gotten a loan commitment. So we had no agreement with the seller. Sellers, we'd done everything, which was risky. Like typically, I mean, you know, the contract and then you do your inspections and everything. You know, you start investing once you have an agreement to buy it. We did all of that first. That was something of a challenge. But again, the real challenge was the fear because I was afraid. I was like, what if I lose thousands of dollars because this deal doesn't close? So really, actually, even underneath that, it's a mind game. Our guest is Oscar Buendia. Thanks for being on the show this morning, Oscar. Awesome, man. I'm stoked. Like I've told you before this, I'm a fan of the show and I'm excited to be on. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you on. And and first, I just want to say thank you for your service, Oscar, to our country. He's in the military and just want to support him in that way and grateful for that. But a little about him, he and his brother, German, are making it happen in real estate investing. They are owners of REI Brothers and Good Day Capital. REI is their podcast for financial freedom through multifamily and Good Day Capital is their real estate investment firm where they bring deals to investors. Oscar, again, welcome to the show. Grateful to have 
have you and, and you know get us started a little bit with your specialty in this business and, and what you all are focused on right now. And let's, let's dive into how you've done it. Awesome. And so a little bit of my background. So it started, you know, like most people finding the, the smaller deals, whether it was through wholesaling, subject to, I did a little bit of any of those. And then, you know, recently, actually in, in 2019, we we purchased our, our first large individual. It was a JV between my brother and I, a 20 unit portfolio. And it was all small multifamily, non-commercial and from there, I mean, it, it just opened our mind to limiting beliefs and dropping everything as far as how you can scale, how you can make the puzzle work and the lending piece of it, which up until then, I, I was looking at just regular residential lending. And then I started looking into commercial, really found these ridiculous interest rates that commercial lenders uh provide and i was like wow this is such a better way for margins for everything and then from there it just blew up we started getting deals from anything from 50 unit to 150 units and mainly in ohio that's where we were our entry point and because ohio is a a cheaper entry point just allowed us to do that that was our one of our main strategies is looking at what market we can tap into and and at our comfortable entry point right if you go to Florida or Texas, the entry point might be a lot higher, right? So that's something as a someone scaling, you have to look at it, and make sure you you're comfortable with because you don't want to get in over your head either. Let's dive into that a little bit. I know there's many of listeners who are in your shoes or have been or, or almost wish they were maybe and getting to the point that you have now and thinking through that a little bit. I wanted to back up to how the small multifamily, you talked about exposed those limiting beliefs. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? There's just the mindset around that so crucial in getting started. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we were, like I said, we were, I was doing wholesaling at the time and I was I actually had a couple of deals taken from me from a mentor or a quote unquote mentor where I, I found like a 50% margin. He basically flipped them and he took a million dollars off the deal. I didn't know what to do with them at the time, but he took them. And then from there, I, I got kind of sour taste at, at, you know, that, that level of real estate. So I started looking at other markets and how to get bigger and our initial process was like, hey, let's go buy a few homes, pay cash out in Ohio, entry points cheaper. But we were approached with a 300 unit portfolio, portfolio residential, and they wanted to offload it. And we said, okay, well, how do we do this 300 units? Eventually we scaled it down to 30 and then we realized, okay, let's stick at 20 as our comfort number. And it really, even 20 at that moment was hard because we were talking close to a million dollars and we were looking at how to structure it, how to everything. So we started calling, calling people, lenders, you name it. And finally we got the help to say, Hey, this is how you should structure it and we can help you. And we're like, Oh wow, man, that, that, that doesn't seem too hard. Let's, let's just do it. Ran numbers, felt comfortable. And just took option action from there, right? And that's what I mean by crushing those limiting beliefs because until you put yourself in that situation to say, can I do it or not do it? You won't know. Before that, everything's in your head saying, oh, no, that's too much for me. That's, that's out of my realm. But the moment you get in a situation and your back is against the wall and you want to make it happen, if you truly want to make it happen, you will, right? 
If not, then then it's not meant to be. And that's okay because another opportunity will come. But now you have that experience through that little setback to know, hey, I can go and do this at another time because now I have that little bit of knowledge. Right. So that's what I mean. Can't be afraid to fail. Right. Yeah, it can't be. And it completely changed our mindset because, you know, now we're talking with people and, and, you know, investors with millions of dollars. You would have told me two years ago, I'm talking with people that have $80 million in reserves that they say, hey, if you have a deal, let me know. I would have told you you're crazy. You know, I, I, that's a whole different world, you know, and it's, it's awesome. So tell me about some of the first action steps then that you took or, or like finding a mentor. Did you, you know, or what did that look like? You know, you already had one bad experience with a mentor, right? You know, but moving forward, did you use mentors then or, you know, how did, and how did you find them? No. So this was, this was all trial by fire initially, right? Once we got to that spot where we were, well, let me back up. Trial by fire in fact that I had other buying homes in Colorado Springs where I was stationed at before and it was all working well. So I, I learned how to do it at a smaller scale first, individually analyze the numbers. And then from there, that's when we, we did a large, you know, single shop purchase. But we made a lot of mistakes, right? So we did hard one due diligence. I mean, this was a pure mom and pop owner. She had everything in a notebook. So we had to verify everything. And even then, when we verified, there were things that were wrong and, you know, we messed up on it. The responsibilities on us where leases were actually not correct. And then just the turnover, once you take over tenants, they just, they know and they don't want to do anything. So we had a lot of headaches and we learned from that. But because we had so many headaches, that right there then forced us to think, okay, we need true mentors, Right. And for us, it was key. It was uh, Jake and Gino. Uh, we joined the Jake and Gino community. Uh, I can't speak any any better about them than I do all day, every day anyway, because they truly are. We get like four coaches and everything from analyzing deals to this and that. And yeah, and that to me has been instrumental because it's changed also our level of sophistication. And I'm all about reaching out for coaching and mentorship. With our podcast, we're looking to monetize and, and ask people and pay people who have done it as far as like, hey, how do you properly monetize? Same thing with affiliate marketing for our website, things like that. I mean, if I'm not an expert and I haven't done it, I'm going to reach out to the people that have done it. And if I have to pay, that's okay because I'd rather pay for quality than stumble my way into people who don't know what they're doing and just taking my money. I know Jake and Gino personally. I can't speak highly enough of them. I mean, they're just amazing guys. So uh, grateful that you brought them up. But then I just also just finding a a, a mentor like that. I, I know to me it was just crucial. You know, finding someone that I could ask questions of. Right, it just gives you that extra layer of confidence that you wouldn't have. You know, just knowing that there's somebody there that's on your side. Unlike that first mentor, you know, that you talked about. You know, you thought he was going to help you, and then ended up helping himself. And I would say he missed out. You know, he could have had somebody that, you know, to partner with and, and, and made a lot more money long term. I think it was somebody that was very short sighted, you know, very short sighted. What about, you know, now you've, you've got into the business, you know, you had a setback there in the beginning, but you pushed forward, you discovered some limiting beliefs, you found a good mentor. Now you're doing, you know, somewhat larger deals, you know, you've opened your mind up to doing bigger things now, you know, in, in the real estate space. Talk about some of those systems that you all have created, you know, that's helped you to think about scaling now 
Yeah, absolutely. So that has been the biggest thing in this past year because we realized with our proper system and proper base and a team to take care of things, especially being a W-2 worker, right? I'm still in the military. My brother is retiring this year, but he's going to be the boots on the ground. The issue, well, not the issue, but what we discovered is we need to scale that, right? So first thing is I hired an executive assistant and I'm talking about a quality one. I didn't go for a VA. There's a difference, right? So, and she created SOPs for me. She created a lot of things that I could do, but I don't have the time to do, right? Now, like, for example, our podcast is, is, it turns. I record, she takes the recordings. You know, I don't worry about anything. I just, you know, pretty much just get on the call like how we're doing now. But then with those SOPs, we're going to pass it down to other VAs who are going to handle our marketing and our uh, part of the house. And then I'm, working really hard on the investor relations side, which is we, we have platforms. I'll name my platform Invest Next for where we show our deals. And you know, I, I think that's one of the cheapest and best platforms out there. Uh, and I want to give them a shout out right now. We also use InvestNext and just a great team. We've worked with them for, I guess, a little over a year now and have done numerous deals through their platform. Can't speak highly enough of them and the customer service alone. You can actually find a, uh, on our website on Whitney's recommendations under, I think it's under the, our about tab on our website. You can find a link to InvestNext and put your email in there and we'll get you some information about them and connect you. But anyway, glad you brought them up. Glad you're using them. So you found a great portal. I wanted to back up. You hired this assistant. You know, you said quality. Well, what does what does that mean to you? And and you know, I've I've used assistants for lots of things, and whether it's job specific things versus now I have you know for the best assistant that I've ever had as far as a personal assistant. You know, what does that mean to you though, Oscar? As far as having the quality assistant versus just finding somebody throwing up work or whatever. Yeah, I think for me, it's someone that could critically think based on what I'm, I'm giving them as well, not just follow a simple direction, right? And also education to me plays a factor, right? The person that we hired, for example, she has an MBA, has operations experience, and she went to a American satellite school in Mexico and speaks better English than me, probably better English than you. (laughs) I was so impressed. And that to me is quality because it shows that she can also, while she lives in another country, she can relate at a high level with our, you know, business individuals here in the U.S. And she's going to play a key role in investor outreach for Latin America, which we're, we're working on right now. That to me is quality, right? If I'm hiring a graphic designer, it might not be, I don't need someone who has an MBA. I don't. I need someone that can great graphic design and maybe post here and there for social media. But when it comes to the operations of an actual business, I need someone to know business. How did you find this person? I looked through Upwork, Fiverr. What's the other one? There's one specifically for Philippine. I forget the website. Onlinejobs.ph. Yeah, that one. But I looked through everywhere, right? And then Trial by Fire as well. I spoke to about, I don't know, 10, 15 different executive assistants. And they're not cheap. I mean, they're anywhere from minimum $20 an hour to you name it, right? So you got to pick your flavor and your your price range, but you just got to do it, make a commitment. And you'll see, shout out to Michael Hyatt's book, World Class Assistant. If you're reading that book, yeah, your time maximizes, right? So now you have time to do what is important, which is actually plan out and run your business. 
Nice. Uh, my assistant and I have both read that book. That, you know, your world-class assistant and been through some of those things. Can't recommend that enough either. I think I read it in a day. It's a really quick read, but very, very worth your while. Oscar, speak to a couple systems that you and your assistant have put in place that have helped you to, say, gain back more time or be better organized or be more productive. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, just the fact that she created our SOPs for the social media and our podcast, I mean, social media and podcasts were taking up so much of our time. And anyone that says, hey, you know that that's their main gig, that's awesome. But that's not our main gig, right? We like that because we educate. We also get to meet people, talk to people, and vice versa. But our job is landing deals. And for this past year, it's taken a lot of time. So she went ahead and created those SOPs. And from there, I mean, I'm telling you, I don't really worry about it. She goes, go, I record the zoom she knows to be annotated from there she throws it out puts it into a folder all the deliverables from the company that we use to create everything and then from there she starts scheduling posts on our social media things like that we'll comment back and we'll do that piece but as far as all the minute things and, and beforehand i sat down and i wrote down everything i want to outsource and everything i want to do Commenting and interacting is something I want to do, my brother wants to do, but the posting and the little details of how to make it happen, I don't want to do that. That takes time, you know, and it's not value added to my time. What would you do different now in your first deal if you'd have known then what you know now? Man, it's hard to say, you know, why? because that first deal, even though it brought us a lot of problems, opened up so many doors, right? So... I don't know if I would have done anything different, <laughs> to be honest. I wish I would have done, I found syndication and joined Jake and Gino beforehand. Because I think we would have been, maybe we would have been in other deals that a lot better. Because one of the things that we, we pride ourselves in, we were pretty good at off-market deals in Ohio. We networked a lot with wholesalers and just guys boots on the ground and found ways to bring them in if we close on the deal and that worked very well. So I think we could have done that better, but I can't say I would change anything really because I mean, it's, it's been an adventure and it's been a great one and it continues to, to grow the, the way it's supposed to, right? Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 